Hello, this is Rob Nesbitt with the Nezzy on Brass podcast. In this edition of the podcast, Nigel Seaman talks to tenor horn virtuoso Owen Farr. I've known Owen personally since he joined Tradiga back in the mid-90s, when he was a quiet, unassuming teenager who was a pretty good solo horn player. His rise from pretty good to world-class virtuoso has been truly remarkable. In the interview, Nigel delves into his development, education, bands and inner mission, in which he is determined to promote the tenor horn and be the best possible player he can be. It was truly inspirational to listen to Owen as he tells the secret of how he got to his current amazing standard. I think you will really enjoy this interview, which shows just what can be achieved with hard work and determination. So, without further ado, let's dive straight into the interview. First of all, the uh, audience will want to know where you were born. So I was born at the Royal Gwent Hospital in Newport. Newport? But I'm not from Newport. I was just born there. Where are you from then? Pontypool. Pontypool. That's different, isn't it? Oh, That's... a long way away. <laughs> <laughs> and you've, uh, do you come from a musical family? No, not at all. Nobody? No, not at all. Nope. So, uh, so how come you actually... Took up the tenor horn When I was five, so it's, that's quite a long time ago now, uh, <laughs> some flyers came through the, the doors where we were living, um, advertising Pontypool band standing up a new youth band. So uh, I was an asthmatic child. Well, I still, I'm still an asthmatic, but um, my mother thought it'd be a good idea for me to go along and learn a wind instrument. Swim was also good, but the chlorine uh, wasn't ideal for me, so that's what we wanted to do. However, because I was five, I was too young, so we had to wait a year. So my elder brother started that year, and then later on, uh, when I was six, then I was let to go and start. Hmm. Just going to sidetrack slightly, I mean, you mentioned mm. about the asthmatic. Mm. So is this a general thing for general wind players? It is good to, to, to learn a wind instrument. I, th- I, I think it's great, yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, my mother thought it would be a good idea, and, and she's, she's quite a bright button, but she did sort of consult my doctor as well and just right. sort of say, would this be a good idea? And he said, yeah, very much so. Oh, OK. Yeah. Worth, worth listeners thinking about that, didn't it? Yeah, That's yeah, definitely. Because yeah. you tend to think, but because it's wind, is, it's sort of counterproductive if you're having trouble breathing, but I mean, yeah, it yeah. helps to get yeah. everything working. Yeah, definitely. So, um, who taught you to play then? Oh, first of all, why the tenor horn of all instruments? I actually, I actually started on cornet initially. That was the instrument that um, Pontypool Band had. And if I remember, there was a, a lovely lady called Lisa Parry who was playing solo cornet with a senior band. She mm-hmm. was involved with the, the then youth band. So, she uh, got me uh, a cornet. Um, and started me off in the upstairs room. So that was my first ever mm-hmm. lesson. It would have been a team... No, Tune a Day would have been the book. Good old book. Tuna... Yes, though, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, st- I started with her and started with, with the youth band there. Well, the beginners group. So we had a beginners group and then eventually got the youth band and then eventually, years down the line, you get to join the senior band. Um, so uh, after that, after she started me off... Pr- I can't remember exactly when that was, but the, the following September, uh, at school then, Alan Williams, who was who has recently retired as head music of Gwent Music Service, he was the peripatetic in the area. He then started giving me lessons through Park Terrace School. Right. Uh, Park Terrace School is is no more. Uh, it's it's just a, a car park now, which is, which is very sad. But uh, so yeah, I, I I took lessons at the band with Lisa first of all, and then Alan Williams became my my teacher at school. Hmm. 
So that's worth bearing in mind. Pretty much the same for me. A very modest start with just mm. somebody, you know, a player, a trombone player in my case, just sort of taking on board. And then, so yeah. What, yeah. did you take to it like a duck to water, basically? I did. I absolutely loved it. I remember, yeah, my, my mouthpiece was in, a, was in a matchbox and my corner case was was clinging on by a hinge, but I absolutely <laughs> yeah. lo- loved, loved the little corner that I had. I didn't stay on corner for very long at all, um, because I think we were all playing corner, and then um, uh, my neighbour was, was a tenor horn player, and he, he, he sounded great, I wanted to sound like him, so they had a spare tenor horn there, and they tried me on a tenor horn, and, and, and that was it really, but mm-hmm. uh, even looking back, I think it was I was very lucky, because I had individual tuition at the band and at school, but mm. also because I was there at the band, they had a group, so I was getting group lessons as well. Yeah. And then after school? After you left school? Uh, after primary school, mm. uh, okay, I, I, um, well, it was quite simple for me. I uh, was at Park Terrace School in, 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 in Pontypool, the now car park, <laughs> uh, <laughs> with, a, with a playground on the roof. <coughs> Very exciting. I left there and went to West Mon School which was only a, a walk away, so mm. um, that was good for me. But the, the, the simple transition was Alan Williams taught me at Park Terrace School, and he was also the brass teacher at Westmont School as well. So mm. the whole Pontypool thing stayed the same, and I just moved from Park Terrace up to, up to Westmont to get the same teacher. Um, and Westmont, so whereas at Park Terrace, there was just myself and my friend called Greg who played. Westmont had almost a full brass band there. Right. So that was very, very exciting to go and fit in with that. And mm. yeah, that, that was great times. And you actually just sort of jumping ahead many, many years, you've, you've, you sort of went back to Portable, didn't you? The, the yeah. period not long ago when you were actually conducting them, I think. It was probably, it was probably about f- five years ago, I'm, I'm guessing now. But I was, I was teaching in Birmingham and... I've just mentioned my friend Greg, who I was having lessons with at Pontypool. Me and my friend Greg, st- uh, sorry, at Park Terrace. Mm. We also started at Pontypool at the same time as well. Um, and he was still at the band. So he called me about five years ago to say the band had been through a terrible time and they were folding. Mm. And uh, I had lost all touch with, with them because I'd been living in Manchester and just been too far away. But it's very sad to hear that. So yeah. emotion sort of drives you forward and... I got uh, in touch with, with, with Greg and then decided to, to throw myself into it and, and start a band up. There was nothing left, but uh, we started from scratch and yeah, we, we, had, we had a good time. Yeah, and there's still a band there today. They're I still think. going? Yeah, they're I still going. I think they were out last yeah. weekend uh, and right. playing in a garden fete somewhere. Good, 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 good. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Okay, so well done to you for actually yes. plugging that, that, that hole at the time, wasn't it? To, to it, was, the <coughs> it took a lot of hard work, but we, we loved it. I had a yeah. great time doing it, yeah. yeah. Okay, so now you've left school. I have. Uh, now, <laughs> this is where I jump in now, because it was at Cross Keys College, wasn't it? Yes. Many, 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 many years ago mm. that you actually... I don't know how long was I one of your tutors? It's my claim to fame, by the way. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that would have been around about 96. Right. I, I, I think that, that, was, that was quite a lucky time for me, because uh, Westmont School that I was at didn't have a sixth form. So the choice I had was to... Uh, really go to Pontypool College, which wasn't far from the school, but Pontypool College then didn't do A-level music, right. uh, which was very much of a shame, or so it seemed, so I had to apply somewhere else, and Cross Keys was the closest place, mm. which took two bus rides to get there, so it wasn't straightforward. Uh, however, I, w- I went across to Cross Keys for a, an open day and mm. saw the music department there and thought it would, it, would, it would be a good idea, it was worth trying, so mm. I went to the school, uh, well, the, the tertiary college, and started there. And that's where 
uh, I met Madden Hodgson. Uh, yeah. And he was a massive, massive influence on me because he, he was the first person to really, I think, open up my eyes and my ears to, to classical music. He was such a passionate man who got very, very excited about yes. music and, and he rubbed off on, on all of his students. And so whereas I, I think previously as a youngster just being interested in, in playing your, your parts in a band and, and taking part on the social side of it, he was introducing us to Beethoven piano concertos and, and, and Brahms violin concertos and things. And, and um, it, it, was a, it was a new thing for me. Mm. And, and, and of course, I, by doing that, I was changing teachers. So that's where I met you mm. and later Ian Portos as well. Oh, yeah. So I had very different instrumental lessons and very different music tuition. Uh, and that, that was a big, big turning point for me, I think, as a, as a, as a young, young musician. Okay, and uh, if my memory serves me right, I think at the same time I was teaching you, there was also Steve Miles on euphonium. And Steve, so I was, I was living in Pontypool, Steve mm-hmm. lived in Sebastopol, so Steve was about a mile and a half <laughs> away from me. Yeah. yeah. And ironically, where I live now is even, even closer to him again. Yeah. And he's now down south. I, I think he's in Bermuda or something. Bermuda now? Oh, I think so. Mark, yeah, yeah, he's enjoying the sun. If, anybody, if this is heard in Bermuda, then um, people know <laughs> yeah. Steve Mars. Get in touch because it's nice <laughs> yeah. to hear about it. Now, coming back to Martin Hodgson, yeah, I agree with you because he conducted, I think he retired not long ago, from Riska. Riska, no, that's no, right. Choir. Yeah. And I've seen him work with them and yeah, that passion you were talking about right. you know, when, when he was teaching, that was very, very evident there. Yeah. I, I've, I've not seen him since college, but... His, his, his passion and enthusiasm just just struck me yeah. straight away, and irrespective of his students, if they, well, I was a tenor horn player, he would have had some pianist there, some violinist. It didn't really matter. He he was just passionate and talking about music. I can remember we were studying Beethoven's fourth piano concerto with him, and it, he was just bubbling all the time. And, and mm. if he was doing music history, um, it was almost he wasn't so interested in in guidelines and things that, and criteria that he had to work with. He just talked about music to. Yeah. A very exciting level, and we, we adored him. He was he was great. So I mean, you must agree then that probably that every great player today must have had a similar person like Martin Hodgson to actually. Uh, it must have done fire your enthusiasm. Yes, absolutely, yeah. And he, he would would he been one of your main person to do that? Do you think? I I think so. At that time, and, and I, I think from immediate impact, he he probably gave me more than primary school or, or to a certain extent even even university mm-hmm. um, because by the time I got to university I was already um, sort of fired up and enthusiastic about, yeah. about classical music but really I don't think I'd listened to anything mm-hmm. before and GCSE music without any disrespect you, you we did um, Penny Lane we, we did Beatles songs and things so it was completely different so I'd, I'd heard in the names of Beethoven, Brahms, <laughs> Schubert, <laughs> Wagner but never really listened no. to any of it but he was very good at explaining about the composer, the music they wrote, and then made us all listen to it. And he really built it beforehand, so we just fell in love with everything he did. Yeah. So, tertiary college, you must have gone on further study then. And where was that? So then uh, I had to apply for universities. Uh, I was quite naive. I didn't, didn't know about many universities. Um, Welsh, Col- Welsh College, where we are right now, didn't have a brass band pathway then. So my options really were limited to going up north. Mm. So um, I found out about auditions at the Royal Northern College of Music, um, went and applied, um, and was fortunate enough to get offered a seat, uh, a seat, a place at mm. the college there and then, which I accepted. And so in 1998, then, I enrolled at the RNCM. Yeah. Well, we jumped ahead slightly, because prior to going to college, you were banding 
big time in South Wales, weren't you? Was that with Tredegar? It, it was. So, um, I, I, so I stayed with Pontypool Band uh, until, I think, 1994. So then I went to the BTM Band. So what, the conductor of, of Pontypool Band then was John Evans. Right. And John Evans was playing principal cornet with BTM uh, up in Bedwas. Mm. And <clears throat> John Evans... Uh, was then taking me across from Pontypool to BTM for a bit of extra experience of playing at, at championship level. So uh, I eventually ended up joining BTM for 12 months, just a short period, and then I went to Tradiga Band um, then on, on Solo Horn. And my first contest there was Revelation in 1995 at the British Open. <laughs> the expression in your face is saying a lot about it. Still hurts. That was a baptism, was it? <laughs> that was yes, being thrown at the deep end, yeah. That yeah. was... Um, to, yeah, to, I'd never played a cadenza before, so to actually have to walk to the front of the stage at the if the free trade hall and play a cadenza was pretty scary for a fifteen-year-old boy. But yeah. Um, yeah, that was my first one. Makes me yeah. feel old now. Yeah, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So off to college I went, mm-hmm. and you must have been snapped up by bands up north. Yeah, um, I had I had lots of offers um, when I went to college in in ninety eight from lots of top bands. I was I was I was very fortunate, but I decided to be. Um, as sensible as I could and not jump at, at, at the first opportunity to, to, to settle into college settle um, into lessons and, and structure and, and decide which offer was, was the best thing to do so I, I played for all the bands for, for, for a little while most, most notably Fairies I did, I did most of the work with and I ventured signing with Fairies uh, even though I had good offers from other bands on solo horn I, th- I still think today one of the best decisions I ever made was not to jump into the deep end. I took a first-horn seat with... OK, Fairies were ranked number one in the world at the time, so they were the best band, but I decided to join them on first-horn to treat the band as a kind of a, an apprenticeship. Yeah. The solo horn player, uh, in my opinion, was was the best horn player I'd, I'd ever heard, and he happened to be my teacher, that's Sandy Smith. Oh. So it all seemed seemed pretty cosy. James Gawley, the head of uh, Winter Percussion at the Royal Northern, was the conductor yeah. of Fairies. <laughs> All very cosy. Uh, exactly. The solo <laughs> horn player was the teacher at the RNCM. Yeah. And I ended up living fairly, fairly close to the Fairy band room. So it, it all worked out, worked out yeah. pretty well. So I joined them on, on, on first on to... Yeah. Again, jumping forward to sort of today, you teach here at the uh, Royal Welsh College mm-hmm. Music and Drama. And of course, you teach horns. To what extent do you find that, um, a bit like singers, I suppose, you know, the playing develops from about the time they come to colleges now and then yeah. they, they develop and develop. Um, do you do you keep a close eye on on your students and which bands they play for? Like you you decided to play first horn because you felt it was good apprenticeship. Do you think do you keep an eye on your own students? Say well, you know, don't go to that band because I don't think you know you'd be better off going to another band and learning your craft there. I, I do. I keep an eye on them and, and, and yeah. I, I try and be as persuasive as possible. Right. But, but <laughs> students sometimes they they have their own ambitions as well, so they will. Really? Yeah, <laughs> they do their own thing. So yeah. I, I I'll try and, and 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 be as persuasive as possible. But uh, yeah, sometimes they just want to do their own thing, which is yeah. which is fine. Yeah. Okay. So um, any specific things that happened when you were at Fairies? My research tells me you had a concert in Switzerland, which was quite noteworthy. Switzerland. Oh right. Okay. That uh, that that's how I became solo horn. So. Um, which was purely accidental, but again, a, an accidental thing that proved fruitful. I, I remember this very clearly. We were at Manchester Airport uh, en route to a Swiss tour, so we were going there for a week. And uh, the solo horn player, I noticed, wasn't there. 
So I kept going to the back of the queue, the back of the queue. I was the last person to check in. Something had gone wrong and he couldn't come. But no one had heard from him. It was a last minute problem. Any mobile last... phones in those days? No. Exactly. Okay. No, this is back. This is it's black and white TV then. I think pe- people walk fast. No. Wind up camera phones. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that old. No, no. Um, so anyway, I was the last person to check in. We, we, we arrived in Switzerland uh, and he wasn't there. And, and of course, his music wasn't there as well. Um, we had a concert that evening, no solo horn player. I was the only person that could do it, so I had to play solo horn. I'd never seen the parts before, and I didn't have any parts. So Jim Gawley, before the time of email, he faxed... Because um, Jim used to live in Switzerland, he had lots of connections, fortunately, so Brassband Oberland being one of them, mm. he contacted them, given the programme that we were playing, seeing if they had any solo horn parts they could get. <laughs> so in the first concert we did... I, as you can imagine, I was terrified. But there was a man running down from the back of the hall to the stage, every piece with a fax roll <laughs> no. for me to peg on the stand. <laughs> and it's kind of, here we go, force of destiny, sight read this. And that's what I had to do for the week. So it, it was a terrifying week. It was the most stressful weeks uh, I've, I've ever had. And mm. when, we, when we had downtime and the band were up on the Alps having, having a bit of fun, I was in a practice room trying to learn... Because we had a big programme, and, and, and Jim used to programme, you know, test pieces and, and, and overtures and real mm. testing things for the band, so I had to do all that. Uh, but in hindsight, it proved to be a trial for me, really, uh, that the, the solo horn player... In more ways than one. In more ways than one, yes. Um, <laughs> and I came back, and, and the solo horn player wasn't coming back to the band, so they decided to, 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 to give me a shot. Mm. Yeah. Instant promotion. It was, Yes. I'd rather the trial be a bit more relaxing than that, but never, nevertheless, it worked out. <laughs> so after music college, then that was your career really took off then, didn't it? So I, I, I graduated from college in, in 2002. And again, I was quite fortunate that, that, that the same... In fact, before I graduated, Jim had offered me the role as tenor horn tutor at the RNCM. Right. So I started teaching at the RNCM uh, uh, with immediate effect. And I also got a teaching role at Liverpool University uh, and... Birmingham Conservatoire, so um, I was I was quite fortunate. So uh, I, I didn't take the, the the PGC option because I had these offers already. So I started teaching at those three universities there. Uh, well, uh, Liverpool University, the other two were Conservatoires. Started doing that, uh, and I remained living in Manchester and and continued playing with with fairies. Did that lead on to your position at Corey Band then? What no, no, I, I stayed there for for, for a, few, a few years after. Hmm. Uh, around about the same time, I had a phone call from a trombone player called Nick Hudson, who still today is one of my closest friends, who was forming uh, a quintet, so called Sonar, uh, which is uh, all, of our, all of our names mixed in. So we also started doing some chamber music and, and playing at Friday night's music night and things like that as well, which was which was quite good, and doing lots of different concerts and educational workshops and things, so which uh, was new to me too. So that was also also great. Um, and the, the fairy band, fortunately, was still going from strength to strength, and we went on to win two nationals back to back as well. So, so mm. after college was was a, a a good time for me with with life in in Manchester. So when when did you come down here to play with Corey then? That was two thousand and four. Mm. So my first open with Corey was was two thousand and four, mm. and lots of success in that time, obviously. Incredible success, yeah. 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 Yeah, in in fact, we we we'd won everything. Yeah. Everything there was to win, we we, we won. So, so it was why, a great time. Why the leave? Why the leave? Yes. Um, many many reasons. I, I I've done twenty nationals, so I wow. I 
<laughs> even though <laughs> I know, you really are old enough, <laughs> oh shucks <laughs> face for radio there we are yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I've, I've done 20 nationals it would have been 21 if I didn't take one of them off to have my second child as well mm-hmm. so I have I have been doing it an awful long time but I've always had ambitions to, to go on and, and, and be a soloist yeah. and, and push uh, the tenor horn in a, in, a, in a different direction and as I've got older and, and as things have, have, have worked out better for me, I've had more and more solo opportunities come in. And I'm quite an old-fashioned bander where I, I believe if, if, you, if you commit yourself to a band, give that band 100%. Mm. And it was getting quite difficult having to turn down good concerts. And I, and I know the Connected Phil Harper was, was, was very understanding and would have allowed me to, to miss concerts, but I didn't want to do it and I didn't want to let my friends down and the band down. And I decided... I was I was going to have to to finish with a band, and in fact I I did speak with with Phil Harper about it a year in advance, and we we were there was there was talks about it then, but he's a very kind, persuasive man, and I, I stayed a bit longer, but I decided at, at the Europeans last year that, that it was the, just the right time for me and the band to to move on and, and me take different opportunities. Being in a band of that caliber, you do need that that commitment, don't you? Do you ever yeah. get frustrated um, when you you see very talented players who, who haven't got that commitment somehow, you know, they're sort of a bit lackadaisical. You do, yeah, of, of course you do. And, and, and likewise, you can get frustrated when you see a potentially good band, not just one individual, the whole band, mm-hmm. becoming a bit too complacent. I'm very fortunate that when I played with Fairies, they were ranked number one in the world, and when I came to Corey's, then they became ranked number one in the world. One in the world. So uh, I, I've had a long time of playing at the highest level, and, and people always ask me what is the secret to, to like Corey's success. And it's, it's no big secret. It's simply hard work mm. in, in, in the band room. You have full rehearsals. You work hard week in, week out, two rehearsals a week. You do good concerts. When it comes to a concert, you work hard as well. Mm. And by always pushing yourself at the highest level, um, that, that, that's where the success comes. It, it's not... You, you, you could, you could organise a band of, of 30 fantastic individuals. You're, you're never guaranteed to do well at a contest mm. stage because it's not about individual work. It's a, it's a, it's a, it really is a, a team effort. So I mean, every band has got its sort of trophy cabinet, isn't it? Yeah. And sometimes it empties when you get promoted <laughs> to another section. But yes. All bands have got their trophy cabinets, and of course at Corey, when I attend rehearsals there, they've got the biggest incentive to keep that standard yeah. high because that's right. Right behind Phil Harper is the national, uh, yeah. the, the national championship trophy. Yeah. The European. The brass in concert. And of course, one yeah. of the am- ambitions is to get the, uh, the the British Open Shield there as well in September. Yeah, I, so, I mean, he constantly turns around and says, this is why we are playing to this standard. I mean, so that's right. I mean, that is obviously at the very highest level. Yeah. And you, you must have come across all from that level right down to the bands which just turn up, have a blow and then go for a pint. We've all been there because everybody, room, and everybody for, started that level. And there is room for that though, isn't there? Uh, of, of, of course there is. And... and that's also being encouraged as well because the more people are enjoying just going to band for social time and just yeah. doing a concert yeah. outdoors for a bit of fun, I, th- I think that should be encouraged too because that will also encourage grassroots, which encourages the children to start. Yeah. And we need we need all of these things for the yeah. brass band w- w- movement to, to flourish. Yeah. It's it's uh, visiting various bands. It's quite obvious you can see that where yeah, with Corey, everybody is there because they have to play. Yeah. And they want to play at the yeah. very highest level. And then you go to other bands, you realise that they're just there for fun. Yeah. It must be difficult in the middle when, uh, I know, without naming names, a couple of bands that have got 
a proportion of people who really want to improve. That's the tough balance. Mixed in with those who yeah. just come from the social and go for a pint. And, and, it is and difficult, yeah. And, and they may have players that have, that have played at the highest level that are no longer, maybe their teeth have fallen out or something. I don't know, they can't quite play that level anymore. Yeah. But they still want to be at that level and they still yeah. want to win the competitions. Yeah. And, and that, that is, that, that's a, a real juggling act, maybe for the conductor more than anybody else. Absolutely, but, uh, yeah. 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 So um, you, you saw a logical end to being a, a regular member of, of, mm-hmm. a, of a brass band, and which I think was, I mean, it's admirable really to do that rather than try to split yourself up into various. Mm-hmm. So once you d- did decide to uh, mm-hmm. sever links with, with Corey, presumably then you could take on so much more work. Exactly. And, and I'm lucky I'm to be endorsed by um, Besser Musical Instruments, so I had already spoken to them about my plans um, to sort of take this venture on. And wh- when I did make... The, the decision, I, I, I was very, very surprised and pleased with the work that instantly came in, how my, my inbox started filling up and, oh, you're available for this and you're available for that and and, and thing, things have been great. And I'm, I am very fortunate, for example, if I'm booked to go to America to do a concert, uh, I, I can just let people at Buffet Crampon with Bess and know that and they will want me to do extra work while I'm out there and things branch on to, to other things. So... To be honest, I was expecting to build things up slowly and work very hard at it, but yeah. it's, it's, it's been quite hard work, um, far more than I thought it would do. But if it continues, I don't really know, but I'm, I'm certainly hoping that so you I can keep you're building. So you're having to turn work down now? As opposed to Absolutely. To yeah. To work, yeah. To yeah, very much so. Pick and yeah. choose. Because here yeah. we are at the, the, uh, in the middle of July, uh, and presumably this isn't a quiet time of the issue because there's all these summer courses that go on as well. Yeah, well, I, I, I've just flown in from Switzerland, so I go in from Switzerland midnight um, Sunday night, mm-hmm. um, so I was over there for a for a week as guest soloist with the National Swiss Youth Band, which mm-hmm. was a very tiring, fun week. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm off this week, and then I do um, four summer schools then back to back throughout July, end of July and August. In total, this year I'll do six courses. Wow. I, I've already done two. So in in April, um, I was soloist with the the National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain for a week, um, and then I've just finished as soloist with the National Swiss Youth Band. So that's two down, four more to go. Uh, so the next course uh, in just over a week's time will be in the north of Ireland in Fermanagh. Incidentally, where my um, GCSE music teacher came from. Mm-hmm. I, I only found that out last year. So I do a week in Fermanagh, um, then I go straight from there to Derby, where the National Children's Brass Band of Britain is. So I do a course there. I go straight from there to Swansea, where is the International Brass Band Summer School. Mm-hmm. I do a course there for a week. And then I go straight from there to Framlingham, so quite a bit further north, <laughs> to, to my final Brass Band Summer School there. And then I go home and, and I sleep for a week. Now, so presumably mm-hmm. you, you go home at the end. These are week-long courses, back to they back. Are. So do you go home to, to do the washing and then on to the next venue? Uh, so in, in Ireland, no. <laughs> um, in, in Derby... Uh, my wife and children, they come up to visit, so they will check into a hotel there. Because oh. um, understandably, that's the hardest bit about being away, is, is not seeing my wife and children. So mm. they come up there. The course I do in Swansea, I'm lucky, because my wife's sister lives in Swansea. So they they come and see me, or I go and see them. Um, we, we, have a, we, uh, we have a great time catching up there. The final course, that's too far away. So when I'm up in Framlingham, I'm, I'm actually away from home mm-hmm. for that week. So how far ahead is your diary at the moment? I mean, what's the furthest in advance? Oh, you're asking a very disorganised person now. Um, it, 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 there's, there's things booked up way 18 months in advance. Yeah. 
presumably, are there youth bands or young people in these summer schools that you're doing? Oh, they're, they're all a mixture. Uh-huh. I mean, if, if we look at the National Children's Brass Band, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're aged 10 to 15. Right. So, so, so they're, they're the youngest group. But even the summer schools, um, they're a mixture too. So some, some we have families, which is lovely. We have grandparents, yeah. parents, and they, their children all come together. In fact, Lauren Chin that's studying here, she came, she must have been about 10 or 11 when she started on the, the summer school in Swansea with her mother and her grandmother. And her grandmother plays tenor horn and still does it now. <laughs> She's been there 22 years doing it, I think. Yeah. So okay, if, let's think specifically about, about the, the, the children's band that you think. Mm. There's obviously um, a benefit in, in learning an instrument and getting enjoyment yeah. out of playing music. But, yeah. but there, there's, there's a, there are a byproduct of that, isn't there? Yeah. That sort of being in a band. Can you talk a bit about that? Well, I tell you, if, if, I, were, if I were speaking to maybe local authorities <laughs> or government and things like that, if we were talking about this with them... Uh, I, I, I think music youth groups are quite an incredible thing because music draws people together better than anything else and schools should encourage this. So, for example, for example, playing at your local youth brass band, you, you might be playing tenor horn sat next to an 80-year-old. Music integrates age, race, anything, mm. more than anything else. So if you're at school doing sports, you can't mix um, sex with music anybody and everybody comes together to take part in music and music is the language that we all speak so I think music brings people to get together better than anything else and for young children to experience that it's priceless mm-hmm. and rather than oh goodness me look, look where we are today people with their Xbox headsets on you're playing violent gun games with people over in America and things over the internet um, that's a scary place we live in today yet music brings people together. It's sad to see the arts cutting music, cut, cutting money from music, yeah. uh, or rather money being cut from the arts, yeah. um, to stop these things happening. Because even on a different scale, I'm married with two children. That's because of music. I met my <laughs> wife through music. Yeah. Yeah. So music has so many benefits for, for all. And I mean, the other benefits people often talk about when, when they're giving the argument for keeping you know, music at schools and, and mm-hmm. funding it, is that it's not just that music thing, it's the fact that, you know, the, the discipline, the commitment yeah. to one another, you know, yeah. they all turn up on the same, uh, same venue. Ab- absolutely. To, to the extent of wearing uniform, I suppose. You yes. Know, that, that's uniformity, commitment and, and loyalty to one another, which yeah. many other aspects. I was talking to Paul Hornsby, who, who um, teaches saxophone, and he was in. <coughs> there's many, many people that's been through the music service now that have no opportunity to use music at the moment. But they all say a huge, huge thank you to their childhood through music yeah. and how it's played a massive part in them growing up and, and, and their, their personalities. And it just gives so many options. I think of it randomly as a different one now. One of my proud, proudest moments as a teacher was at a primary school, I taught a deaf girl to play. Yeah. And she learned tenor horn, and I, I had one of the uh, clips on my tie to her earpiece. Um, I would talk very slow, very loud. She would pick it up, and as she played, the vibrations she could latch onto the pitch, and it was a very moving I- experience. That uh, there was a big part in, in her growing up, and now she's um, she moved to London, and I believe she's had some specialist work done, and her hearing hearing is now enhanced, and she's doing great. So those things, music, it's, it's a wonderful thing for everybody, and yeah. it's just sad to see it taken away from us. You mentioned it briefly about your, your Besson connection. Yeah. I, th- I think you're, you're, you're quite sort of fanatical, really, about, about promoting the instrument. That's I right. Mean, let, let's face it, years ago, 
they were called the Barking Irons, weren't they? Yeah, General yeah, Hall. yeah. You know, the real Cinderella That's of right. the brass band. Everybody played the, the, the cornet, yeah. of course, and the trombones and euphoniums especially. Yeah. But you, the tenor horns, those three stuck in the front there, you know, what were they for? And I think you've, been, you've really fired well, up this whole discussion about the role of the tenor horn. Well, it's funny you ask that question, because if, if you look when brass bands were first formed, well, actually, is this still the case today, perhaps? Maybe when um, someone starts to learn the instrument, if, if they're a good player, they end up playing cornet mm. or euphonium. Mm. If they're a larger person, they might end up on the bass. If they're a bit crazy, they might end up on trombone. <laughs> um, if the embouchure uh, isn't perhaps what it should be, they end up on percussion. And maybe if they're pretty useless, they put on tenor horn, maybe. <laughs> so to play the umchugs, the, um the offbeats out yeah. of the way. Stereotypically, I mean, I joke about it, maybe that there is a, a, a case for that. And lots of the very, very old arrangements from when yeah. bands first started up, the cornets and euphoniums at the melody line and the ten horns would just play some offbeats. Basses yeah. go on, horns, we go off. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's why the tenor horn is, is later on in, in, in development. And of course, then in the 70s, we have Kevin Wadsworth playing with, with Black Dyke that sort of really changed the sound of the tenor horn right. uh, and, right. and the legendary Gordon Hingebottom then that took the tenor horn to the front of the solo stage and promoted it that way. So really it wasn't until the 1970s that the tenor horn started to, 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 to sort of bubble. So I guess I'm, I'm trying to carry on the work that they that they started and, and grow the repertoire and, 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 and its whole image. And I'm sort of back in my brains now. Are you, are you the sole voice doing this? Because anyway, euphonium-wise, we've got, I mean, you could rattle off at least half a dozen, sure. you know, world-class, globe-trotting euphonium soloists yeah. are, are all doing their work there. Yeah. But I'm trying to think of another tenor horn player that's doing this sort of trailblazing, um, fanatical approach that you well, have. Well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the busiest um, mm. horn, but, but I, I, I could certainly pay still today tribute to lots of other horn players, um, like, like Shiona White. Oh, yeah. Um, that, like 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 Johnny Bates, I know he's a student, but he's he's very enthusiastic, doing a lot of work. So I think there are lots of people out there that are doing doing many things and sort of flying the flag for the tenor. Yeah. But I suppose it's that Besson connection in a way, because you you know they promote yeah. you as a player as much as the instrument. Yeah? What Besson do is they don't they don't advertise, so they don't they don't put their money into pictures and posters and and, and adverts as such. They they put their their budget into projects. Mm. So if if there's a project that in particular, education is tanked onto it, and they see that the future of, of brass banding benefits from their work. Then they are keen to to put put money into that. So, mm. for example, if I am in Switzerland doing something, and Bess and see maybe it's worth me doing a master class for for or, or or solos with a band where there's children involved, things like that. They're very keen to to do that. So it it, it works great for me. It's a mm. great relationship. So in conjunction with all that, of course, about developing the the, the instrument itself, sure. you also presumably commissioned vast amounts of new music for the instrument because, yep. as you say, the old air varies is what the tenor horn... If ever, if ever the tenor horn stood up and did a solo, it would be probably an air vary, wouldn't it? In the old uh, days. Without a doubt. Or, or, or a, a slow melody. Like a slow one, melody. one or the other. So, yeah, but, I, um, I've been quite keen to to commission um, people like Philip Spark and, and, and Lucy Pankhurst to, to write bigger, more major works or even concertos for, right. for, for the tenor horn to steer it away from that, that direction and, and just give us more repertoire to delve into. That's great. Is, am I right in thinking you actually personally test all the best instruments before they go? I do, you yes. Do. So um, so that takes you where? Across to, to France? or, or where, where you... It was France and now we've moved the factory to, to, to Germany. So to but initially it, it, it was France where the, where the factory was and when Besson uh, invited me to come on board with them, 
the the uh, uh, initial invite was to to design a new instrument with them, um, and they wanted to design a new best and prestige tenor horn, uh, which was very exciting for me actually. So from the early stages, um, we 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 had meetings and discussions about things to change, uh, things to alter, things to experiment with, and we spent two years trying different lead pipes, valves, bells. Or well, it's, it's it's an ongoing project actually, yeah. but after two years. Um, I was happy with an instrument that we designed uh, together. Um, with my ideas and their ideas, the collaboration, it, it comes together, and the best and prestige was was invented, born, if you like. Um, so now all those instruments, well, and the sovereigns that they make and produce, uh, I go over every month, uh, test them all out, and, and sign them off if I like them, or if I don't like them, um, they go back to have some work done on them, and or if they're really bad, they go in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, I have the final say, which is which is good. Right. And how many of these would you test in, in, in one session? Oh, that, that, that changes, but around about 30 a month. 30 a month, wow. Yeah. And, and it, has it been a radical change to the design of, this, of, of the tenor horn? Or have they been, no. As you said, you tweaked it. And stuff. Is, Not is really. there something major about what you've done to the tenor horn? Not a major thing, really, because I wanted to keep the original characteristics of the tenor horn there. Mm. So... Um, Besson had always produced a fantastic sovereign instrument that produced a beautiful sound that I liked, so I wanted to keep that there. However, in- intonation wasn't great, so we needed some work done there. Um, uh, we improved the technology of the valves, so to, from, tell me if I'm boring you with all this stuff now, but from <laughs> um, centre-sprung valves to top-sprung valves that aluminium, they're lighter, they move quicker. Um, we've recently developed a new... Um, called Gold Brass Bell, which is uh, 85% copper and 50% zinc, so that produces uh, a richer sound. I, I designed a trigger system that goes on the back of the valve block that doesn't interfere <laughs> the way you hold it. We did lots of things, but the main characteristics of the instrument have remained. We've just added things to that to, to make it easier well, for it the It sounds to me quite a lot of adjustments and a lot improvements of small ones. They, they are improvements, yeah. Lots of little yeah, for sure. ones, yeah. And do we have an Owen Farm mouthpiece range? There is, an, there is an Owen Farm mouthpiece be. range, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good plug. Yes, that's a bit with Alliance. Yeah. Designed by yourself. Yes. Yeah. I've got, you mentioned the valves actually working a lot, a lot better these days. They must have the sort of pieces that you're well, famous for doing. You know, you do your slow melodies, but I think you really made your name um, at least a few years ago by just the sheer fireworks that you used to come out with, particularly the time I remember you were Corey. I mean, just yeah. millions of notes that you were churning out. I mean, well, to, to what do you attribute that? Is it just massive, massive amounts of practice, or you, were you just lucky that you got an incredibly fast articulation? I, I, I don't believe in luck at all. I, I, I'd be a hypocrite if I said that, and, and I think the word talent is also m- massively overused. Uh, I, I've worked hard. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in a practice room day in day out to to to, to learn to, pl- to play that but even from a young age i knew i wanted to be able to play uh, at a virtuosic level because a tenor horn is, isn't perceived to do so um, and there's no reason to do that i mean if i was biased which of course i will be towards the tenor horn mm. the instrument itself is bigger than a cornet so it offers a greater range yet it's smaller than a euphonium so it offers more uh, clarity Mm-hmm. And the balance between the two, it, it, it can be a, a, a wonderful instrument for the audience to listen to. So mm-hmm. I always wanted to, to, to develop both sound and technique a, 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 along that road. So that, that's where the virtuosity came from. But mm-hmm. it didn't just come overnight. It took a, it took a lot of hard work. Coming back to the, the, the tenor horn's role within a brass band, if you look at the composition of the band, you've got, what, ten cornets? Yeah. One flugel, three, let's just say, small instruments of the tenor horn. Then you get into yeah. the baritone. 
You've, if you yeah. get beefy euphoniums and a strong yeah. trombone section, yeah. a hefty bass section, do you ever sometimes feel that just the three tenor horns, that's a, it can that, I, th- I think sometimes listening to the band, that tenor horn sound often is slightly swamped by, let's say, enthusiastic I, baritones, stroke I, euphonium and back yeah. row cornets. I completely agree. Yeah. Absolutely agree. In an ideal world, six tenor horns would, would be better. Really? And I think when you, when you like the National Youth Band, when you have 12 tenor horns to work with, then, then, then you, 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 you get a much thicker sound. So, for example, there's one solo horn player in a brass band and there's four solo cornets. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the balance is out, but that's never going to change. Yeah. So for, for all those young upcoming horn players listening, uh, yeah. to study projection is a real, real important thing mm-hmm. to, to be able to get that balance right. And it is some tough. composers, of course, like, like, Phyllis, uh, like um, well, Gregson, I think, Philip Spark, writing for two flugels as well, just to, yes. to fill out that middle... That's, that's, and that's, it's very effective yeah. because the flugel horn is um, the only instrument that sort of it, they're the transition from almost bass cornet in, into tenor horn yeah. so they also have, have, a, have a tough role and the flugel horn isn't uh, an instrument with a projection of cornet or euphonium either yeah. so it is, it, it is quite tough yeah. Howard Snell had an idea years and years ago that it would be quite effective for the whole back row to switch to flugel horns. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's ever... Maybe he tried it. I'd love to hear that. That could be quite interesting. You could, didn't it? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> One of the things we always like to ask on, on our podcasts is uh, a bit like sort of um, all right on the night moment. The right. sort of disasters that might have... And we talk about your mini disaster of having to be promoted to principal horn. Yeah. Uh, solo horn overnight or at the airport. Uh, right. Any other things which, which you would put down as uh, memorable, for whether uh-huh. it's funny or disastrous? I- I do remember when I was playing my old band Tradiga, we were marching through Bedwelty Park, and I'd not really done that much marching before with Pontypool <laughs> Band, um, but I think I, I'd cracked this left, right, left, right kind of thing with the bass drum, and I was doing pretty good. <laughs> what I hadn't learned about was um, keeping your eyes off the music to see where you're going. Uh, I was oblivious to the, the row in front of me were clearly marching to the right, and I, ha- I hadn't seen this. Uh, and then I found out why when I hit the pothole. <laughs> I hit the pothole and I went down. No. And, and I, I, was, I was straight on my face, yeah. Um, and the, but the band played on, as they say. The band marched on. <laughs> and I could hear another horn player, Helen Blackledge. She marched past me. I could just hear her giggling. <laughs> she went past. So anyway, I had to clamber up and get my things together and, and run, catch up and get back in line and Wait, continue the march. Did you damage yourself apart from... No, your, no, not, no, not at all. Your but pride was just, just my... <laughs> I had a glow on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay. that, yeah, that, was, that was good fun. Yeah. But I, I know from having been with you when you were uh, at Corey, you, you're a great social person, aren't you? Oh, thank you very much. When, when, I'd like to enjoy when myself. When it comes yeah. to post-concert, yeah. uh, you, I think uh, a sight to behold is you holding court in, in, the, in a, a lounge bar or a hotel. <sighs> One, two, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, I think, to a certain extent, you speak for everybody because a band like Corey that is so busy, we are in each other's company all the time. And I think we're all very, very lucky uh, at Corey that we're all all the best of friends. And so when you do rehearse hard and then you do do concerts, which we pride ourselves on and, and, and we play at the highest level, when it's finished, it's finished and it's time for each other then. Yeah. And so it's nice then to... to to go to the bar or go to a restaurant, wherever, and just talk to each other about different things and have a good time. And if the clock ticks away, then that's just what happens. Yeah. So we've talked about a career which started uh, way back when you were six years old. And we've mm-hmm. gone, I think we've covered just about everything, right from your college days, mm-hmm. university days rather, and then on to well, globe trotting. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
coming back to the globe trotting thing, are you, how far have your travels taken you around the world? Are, are there countries that you haven't been to yet you want to go to? Or are we just about to cover there's, the globe? There's plenty I'd like to go to. Um, uh, New Zealand and Australia is always on the cards every year and never never works out. And even Corey went to Australia and uh, and I couldn't go hmm. because of all the summer schools I do. So I've still not been there yet. Um, I'm still in talks about it, so I will be going, um, but I haven't been there yet. Uh, but just recently I've been to Japan and America, so that's sort of stretched quite, quite, a, quite a way away as well. Yeah. So you're still in the prime of youth. Oh, well, you look like it anyway. <laughs> no grey hairs from where I'm sitting. Uh, where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? What's going to happen to the tenor horn, the, the repertoire, your career? Yeah. I mean, what are your plans? Who knows? Who, who knows that where, that where that will take me? All, all, all I'm concerned about is is developing the, the repertoire, developing my playing. Is still I'm still practicing very very hard. Uh, I feel I'm a better player now than I was last year, and I'd like to think uh, next year, the year after, the year after that, my playing will still get better. So mm-hmm. as my playing gets better, hopefully the repertoire will get better, and my relationship with 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 Besson hopefully will will continue to grow and and. I just, just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And people can look at a tenor horn play and think, why are you doing that? In fact, I did have this discussion with, with Steve Stewart after I did, because um, I know you're interviewing Steve soon. Is it? Soon, so, yeah, I hope to. Um, when I f- finished my solo CD, he said to me, you, you really should play trumpet. If you play trumpet, you'd earn a lot more money. On the other <laughs> hand, I said to Steve, you're absolutely right. But on the other hand, uh, there's less competition on the tenor horn and it's far more exciting doing things that no one else has done before and it gives me the motivation when I when I play solos on, on stage uh, and I'm sitting in front of the audience I'm well aware that a large percentage of that audience have no idea what this is going to sound like they don't know what the tenor horn sounds like mm. and that's why it's, it's nice to give them the repertoire they haven't heard before and hopefully played at, 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 at a level that they, they enjoy too so it, all those things really really excite me and, mm. and doing something new rather than what the, what was done before so I think I'm in it in a place now where I'm opening doors that that, that are seemingly closed, yeah. but I'll open those and just just keep seeing what what happens happens from there. Two weeks ago, I was in London working with Phil Cobb and some members of the London Symphony Orchestra. I never thought that would ever ever happen. Yeah. Just by chance, it did happen. So you, you never know. You never know what the next email or, or telephone nope. call no. where where it will take you. No, exactly. Oh, that's just terrific. Yeah. Terrific to have that enthusiasm, having been yeah. so long, you know, at, at the top. Rather yeah. than just saying, well, I'm, just gonna, I'm going to take it easy now. You're actually you're, you're trying to find new strands well, and new avenues all the time. My enthusiasm, yes, it has been very long at the top, but that's been at the top with brass bands. Now, now this is a new venture that I'm just starting out on my own, so it's like a new beginning again. So Wonderful. Yeah. Plenty to do. Talking about a beginning again, I always like to ask people as well, if, if you can cast your, your mind back right to the beginning of your career, mm-hmm. is there anything that um, advice that you actually give to yourself now? In, to myself? Is the benefit of hindsight? Um, goodness me in hindsight I, would, I mean I would love to go back uh, and start again with all the things that I now know especially what not to do that's the biggest thing but perhaps on the other hand maybe to quote Richard Branson he says he's, he's learned more from his failures than his successes and, and, and perhaps that's what's made me where I am today is all the failures because every time you fail at something you learn something uh, and, and, and so maybe of all the struggles I've had as a player and all the failures I've made, maybe I actually am grateful to all those things that I've learned what not to do, and that's what mm. spurred me on to work really, really hard to get where I am right now. So maybe if I go back to six and start over with what I do know now, maybe complacency will kick in. I think complacency is a, a dangerous thing for the ambitious player. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, a marvellous aspect of, of who you are and where you are now. Mm. 
and it's a great way to end the, end the conversation. It's been fantastic to chat to you. Thank you very much. And uh, learning more about Owen Farr, not just the tenor horn player, but yeah. the teacher, the uh, instrument designer, and all that goes with mm. it. And good luck with all your future prospects. Thank you very much. It's really kind. If you'd like to contact Owen, you can catch up with him on his Facebook page and via email. The contact details are on the Nezzy on Brass website in the podcast on Podcast 6. If you'd like to put yourself forward for a podcast interview, please go to the Nezzy on Brass About Us page where there's a contact form. If you're a brass player, conductor, composer or have a brass-related business, we would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Nezion Brass podcast. Catch you on the next one.